0: I was at Silmar Juvenile Hall and I saw a bunch of boys, and I think the youngest was like nine or 10, and they were shackled at the hands and at the feet. It shook me. It moved me, it angered me, it, it, it just it scared me. And I just kept asking the question, well, what is it that a child did that makes us as a society want to incarcerate them and then have to shackle them at the hands and feet? These are children, you know? And then as a a Black person, seeing this, it just took me back. You know, I thought about slavery and that moment just has always stuck with me. And I just thought, I've just got to do whatever I can to help these kids.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today, we're airing an encore presentation of my 2021 interview with Akuyo Graham. She's the founder of the Spirit Awakening Foundation, which is an arts based nonprofit dedicated to helping underserved youth in the juvenile justice system. Since its inception in 1995, Spirit Awakening Foundation has been a pioneer in developing and offering restorative, trauma informed prevention and intervention programs to underserved, incarcerated, and systems involved youth in Los Angeles County. This was definitely one of my favorite interviews of 2021. Akuyo and I touched on so much together including how difficult and broken this juvenile justice system is and what tools she gives to the participants in her program to empower them. And we also talked about how the young people of Spirit Awakening Foundation have come in the past to Eslin Institute for a leadership retreat of their own. Really special and inspiring. Recently, Akuyo and I reconnected and she gave me the update on Spirit Awakening, so I've included this bonus material from our recent conversation at the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy. Akuyo Graham, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Esalen.
0: Thank you very much, Sam, for having me. I am really excited to be here. As I've shared with you, I am a huge fan of Esalen Institute, so it's, it's an honor truly to be here with you today.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I want to hear all about Spirit Awakening Foundation, but first I thought we could couch this discussion by you telling me a little bit about who you are, where you were born, and what kind of professional life you've led.
0: Oh, of course. Me, my favorite subject. No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I was um, born in Ghana, West Africa, and I was raised actually by a single parent, my mother, Gladys Boy. And I mention her because she's been to Esalen so many times with me and loves it. And um, my mother, when I was six years old, brought me to England. She went on ahead and she brought me. And so I had my early education in both Ghana and in London. And then from London, we migrated to the United States. And so in all my travels, Sam, and, and I've always, often asked my mother, what, what made you you know, take me traveling halfway across the world and leaving Ghana? Because London at that time, it was a very difficult experience for my mother. And for I, it was, uh, especially for, sh- for her, uh, she'd gone to, Ghana, uh, to London with my aunt, who has since passed on to establish themselves before bringing me over. You know, Sam, it was difficult. It was a lot of racial tension at that time. And she was a single mother, you know, which was also something that was taboo, you know? And, and so here's this African woman, single mother. It was just crazy. And she had to really prove herself at every turn, you know, getting a job, whatever she, she had to do. Consequently, when she brought me to, to England, I had to do the same as well. I remember my mother would have to come to the school, my primary school, and vet and, and, and tell them, yes, my daughter did do the homework. Yes, she is that smart. You know, she really can read and write. She really can think, <laughs> you know. Yes, we're wow. from Africa and she's still smart, you know. And I mean, it was, it was a struggle. And something I noted that made me understand that being successful perhaps was not the safest thing for me, Mm. you know, because that brought a certain level of visibility. You know, again, going back to the primary school, if I did well in a class um, quiz or test or exam, you stood out, right? And so for me, that was like not safe because I just wanted to disappear into the background, don't notice me, don't see me. When I did well, it just brought, it seemed to make the adults around me very unhappy. Wow. And so that kind of lodged into me. And, I, and I, I'll come back to that later. You know, that's sort of a bookmark. So we come to the United States, and then here too, um, I'm very different from what um, at the time Black Americans were used to seeing. And here I was from Ghana, West Africa, and certainly I look Black, I am. And yet I spoke very differently, you know, because I'd been living in England. So, How old were you when you came to the United States? I was 13 when mm-hmm. we came to the United States. We lived in <laughs> London for seven years. And so by then, you know, I again, as a matter of survival, I, I had to learn the Queen's English. So Sam, I spoke with a British accent. And in fact, if you spoke to me on the phone, and if you didn't know that I was from Ghana, you would thought I was British, you know, so... We moved to, first we were in Spanish Harlem because my mom's friend was there. So we stayed with her for a bit. And then we landed in Brooklyn near Flatbush, which is where a lot of West Indians are. And it's really very multicultural. It's beautiful, you know. So the first was Spanish Harlem with its, I just remember the colors and just the vibrancy. So part of me was really like, honestly, overwhelmed by the sheer powerful, colorful, eclectic, area with the music you know and the languages it was like oh my god where have i landed you know so i was excited by it and also afraid of it and then because i wasn't someone that could be placed in a neat box of you know black check the box and leave her it, 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 that also created problems so i say all that to say my journey has been a journey of finding myself mm-hmm. learning to find make peace with all the world that i had been exposed to and finding the balance of who i am finding my voice and learning how to not apologize for anything this has been my journey you know and so the work of spirit awakening foundation is sort of a continuum of that journey
1: mm-hmm. and, and i'm curious too about finding your voice at what point did the dramatic arts come into your being
0: well, um, as a child, I loved to read, and my imagination would just soar. If I read a book, I would put myself in there. In, in Ghana, every evening, my grandfather and family members would gather us together and tell stories. And it, it was riveting, and I loved it. You know, so storytelling was just something that really moved me. So then in London, one of the few places I could escape was into storytelling, and drama, and improvisation, and my drama teachers in England felt that, wow, she's really gifted. And in fact, they were making plans for me to go to RADA before my mother moved us to the United States. So I, as a child, uh, make-believe, the imagination, reading, escaping, those were all places I could escape to. Pretending to be someone else was an escape. You know, I could hide in through and under the characters that mm-hmm. I get. I got to play. So, so as a child, I was aware that this was something that that really turned me on and that I was good at as well. I uh, ended up going to the uh, high school of performing arts, and and I excelled there as well. And then I I had some college. I dropped out because I just felt like the courses I was taking wasn't really. Helping me. So I started taking acting classes at um, HB Studios with Sanford Meisner, some of the great acting teachers in this country. And I started working, I was in a soap operas and making commercials. So oh, wow. It, so even though it was challenging, uh, I think people just were like, she's kind of different, you know? So we will, we'll work with her. She can do this, she can do that. And, and, um, and, and I really loved it. I, I, I just loved it, Sam so much. And when I moved to LA uh, it just kind of continued. I was walking down the street um, in Los Angeles and someone spotted me. It's a true story. They spotted me, uh, hooked me up to an, an audition for a play at the time at a prominent, prominent theater. And I got it. I got the role. And um, at that play, I got to meet Stevie Wonder, Denzel Washington. We met all these stars because they would come see the play each evening. So that was an incredible entryway as well.
1: Mm, Yeah. So that would have been Los Angeles in the 90s or the 80s or? Early 90s. Okay. Early Early 90s. 90s. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess that brings us to around the mid, mid-1990s when Spirit Awakening Foundation was created. Yeah. I, I want to hear about its inception and how and why you felt called to start working with the juvenile justice system.
0: Sure. Um, as I said, when I came to LA, I was working quite a bit as an actor. And I love the acting work. And this is a true story. I remember one day going home I just did um, a made-for-TV film with the late, great Charlton Heston. Um, I had a featured role in it, but it was nice. Um, and I remember going home and, and saying out loud to myself, I thought, well, so God, is this it? You know, I'm just going to keep working, make money, and become famous? This is it? Oh, no, I need more. And, and that was a very real desire, you know, because acting for me, a performing arts I remember when I had auditioned for NYU, which I got in, um, in New York. And they asked me, well, why do you want to be an actor? And I said, well, I want to move people. I want to be a part of helping this world. Mm. You know." And that was what was in my heart. And so when I moved to LA and all this stuff was happening, it just, um, the work was satisfying, but everything that was surrounded the work I found so shallow, you know, It just it, I just thought, I'm more than this, I can give more than what I am being asked to give, I can contribute more than this, and I want to contribute more than this. Shortly thereafter, um, I was told there was a position with a group called LA, LA Theatre Works. They were looking for poets to place in the juvenile halls. Sam, I'd never heard of the juvenile hall system. I didn't know this country had an entire juvenile system or what it was about. So I applied and and I I got the job with them. And I remember um, before the application, they said, well, what would you teach? And I wrote. I sat up one night and I just wrote. It came through and... I remember reading and thinking, wow, I hope I'll be able to teach this. This is amazing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, I wrote it, but can I teach it? <laughs> you know, And uh, I got the job and meeting those kids, it was really extraordinary. I really connected with them. And um, as I like to tell everyone, one of my first moments in the juvenile hall, which was very jarring for me, was arriving. And seeing this, I was at Silmar Juvenile Hall. It's in an area called Silmar for boys. Barry J. Knight of Juvenile Hall for boys. It still exists. And I saw a bunch of boys. And I think the youngest was like nine or 10. And they were shackled at the hands and at the feet. It shook me. It really, it moved me. It angered me. It, it, it just it scared me. And I just kept asking the question, well, what is it that, a child did that makes us as a society want to incarcerate them and then have to shackle them at the hands and feet. These are children, you know? And, and then as a, as a black person seeing this, it just took me back. You know, I thought about slavery and, you know, all of that stuff. And, and so that moment just has always stuck with me. And I just thought, I've just got to do whatever I can to help these kids, whatever I can. And and that's been really my mark, you know, what can I do? Mm. What contribution can I make, Mm. you know? And and, and that's been where it all started really. So
1: 95% of incarcerated youth presently in LA County are black and brown. Yes. Uh, 67% are likely to be in prison by age 25, Mm -hmm. but, 80% are eligible to be diverted to community-based programs and nonprofits. How do these statistics interact with the mission of Spirit Awakening Foundation?
0: Well, as a nonprofit, now the foundation is 26 years old. And so as a nonprofit, we are able to go into the juvenile systems and bring our programs to these young people. And when they are released. It's their choice. They can choose to continue to work with us. We have a mentoring leaders program, which is how we came to Esalen. And so they can participate. They can continue to participate with us. LA County right now is quite an extraordinary moment because the Board of Supervisors for Los Angeles County has mandated that juvenile probation be dismantled in its current form within the next five years, which is amazing for those of us in the nonprofit field, those of us that are community-based organizations working in this arena with young people, we have to really shore ourselves up and, and make sure that we have the programs and services to be able to support these young people. I'm, I'm sorry to, to break in there. What sure. Does,
1: what does that mean that the, the LA County Board of Supervisors will dismantle the youth probation? Is it a, a positive well, thing or negative?
0: Well, you know, I ultimately I think it is a positive thing because the 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 model we have now doesn't really work. There's too many broken pieces to that model. The systems we have now, you know, it's so funny Sam. I just before this um interview I was listening to an interview on Democracy Now with um the great uh filmmaker Raul Peck. And he was talking about systems. I think that For something to work, you have to look at its genesis. You have to look at its intentionality when it was first created. These systems were not really created to rehabilitate. You know, they're punitive by nature. So if you have a punitive system, a system that's oppressive and suppressive, and then in the middle of it you say, okay, well, change face, it it could be done, I'm sure, but probation is so big, it's huge. There's a lot of money involved. And so not everyone is going to be on the same page. So to dismantle it, my understanding is that we're looking at this system and saying it has not worked. We have spent billions into incarcerating children. And if it were a straight out business deal, you'd go, whoa, this is a terrible investment. You've, you've invested billions and look at your returns. This is awful. Stop investing in this, right? So that, to me, that's what we're doing. We're looking at this investment and saying it needs to be Mm reimagined. We have to reimagine. Most young people in the system have not committed heinous, vicious crimes. Most of them, and and, uh, most of them, are suffering from trauma. And so their behavior is really an extension of the trauma that they've been through. And sometimes that behavior is, inflicting pain on themselves and others, one or the other, or both, you know? And so those are the kids that are there. I remember having a conversation at Silmar with a young man who was um, sentenced to 77 years. 77 years, Sam! You know, he was a gang member, and he said, Miss Akuyo, most of us in here, including the boys, all the boys, We've all been raped. We've all been, you know, traumatized. We've been beat up. We've been abandoned. We've been neglected. He said, "I'm not telling you this to feel sorry for me. It's just the way it is." Mm-hmm. So our behavior is really uh, a reflection of the way we've been treated. This is the society we know.
1: Yes. When I was doing some research on your foundation, there was uh, some writing which was really powerful about sex trafficking and child prostitution. And I'm I'm curious to hear a little bit about how that how endemic that is to the demographic you hope to serve.
0: Absolutely. For the girls, especially. um, And again, this is why I think it is a good thing to dismantle the system as we know it. You know, we punish victims, you know, that may not have been the intention, but that's what we end up doing, you know? And so if a girl is on the street, she's 13 years old, you take her off the street by arresting her and then you punish her. But wouldn't you say, wait a minute, she's 13. She's a child. Maybe someone placed her there. You know, let's find out what she's doing there and why she's there, you know, rather than stop doing this, you're bad, and we're gonna sentence you, Mm. which is what I saw, especially in the beginning. You know, a lot of the girls I worked with were all girls that were trafficked. They were all in the streets. They all had pimps. And I'm thinking, how come the pimps aren't incarcerated? Mm. Why don't we incarcerate the Johns? You know, if you're gonna right, hello. If if you're a grown adult, and you're gonna go out on the street, and your intention is to go buy sex with a minor, with a child, I- I'm sorry, but I think if you're gonna incarcerate her, incar- incarcerate that adult as well. You know, but that's not what we did. And then we expect these kids that have been punished, then we expect them to come out rehabilitated, all kind of nice. Well, you know if they haven't known much of kindness, if they haven't known much of love, then our expectations are askew, then we have no right to expect that from them.
1: Well, what is the idea from the LA County Board of Supervisors with no probation? Is it just that the, the children will serve their juvenile justice system and then they'll be released out into the- I,
0: I think they're in the process of kind of looking at all of that now. And I, probably it'll be a hybrid. I think for nonviolent offenders, what they're looking to do is to divert them and place them in programs. So if a kid's caught stealing, for instance, nobody was hurt, they didn't beat anyone, they didn't kill anyone, they didn't shoot anyone, nonviolent offense, then they're going to look at that kid and say, here's your choices. We can incarcerate you. Or you can look at these, you know, or um, nonprofit organizations, these community-based organizations and these programs, and you're going to help us design a program for you that Mm -hmm. you must go to and participate in. So I think the county is looking at different hybrids about all of this. And I was just at a meeting, actually, and we had um, victims speak up and say, hey, don't forget to to include us as you are redesigning all of this. And some of them actually, you know, quite honestly, were very upset. They don't want this change. They want kids that have done terrible things to be incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think um, what I'm pleased about, Sam, is that at least the conversation is taking place, Mm. you know, Mm. amongst many conversations that need to take place. You know, that let's look at the design of some of the systems that we have in place. Let's look at the intentionality of these designs. What were they intended to do? And then let's look honestly and look at, are they achieving those things that they want to achieve? If it is rehabilitation, then let's look at, Let's look at numbers. Let's look at qualitative experiences. Have we achieved these things? And if we haven't, what then adjustments do we need to make? You know, so I'm hoping those are the kinds of questions that are being asked, you know, and and that can happen if the adults aren't too defensive, if everyone isn't, you know, doesn't get into their ego and like, well, my program is the best and my way is the only way. No, let's look at, it's going to take all of us, Mm. Mm. It's going to take the community and the families, you know, and the CBOs and the county. It's going to take all of us to raise our children.
1: Akuyo, talk to me a little bit about the tools that you give some of your participants to empower them. And you use this powerful phrase, at promise instead of at risk. Um, Talk to me about the tools that you can give them in order to support this effort to change the internal and external story from a negative, passive one of victims to a positive, contributing world citizens' narrative?
0: Absolutely. One of the tools is meditation. Absolutely. Or at least inquiry, you know, mindfulness, it's called now. I call it straight-up meditation. And there's many, many ways <laughs> to meditate. We know that. And, and, and funnily enough, Sam, 26 years ago when I started, that was taboo. You know, there were people who said, what is this? That African woman, she's got them sitting quietly. You'd think they'd be happy I'm in a classroom and your students are quiet, hello. <laughs> They're engaged. So, meditation is one of them. And looking inward, being contemplative, not being afraid to look at who they are. We have uh, writing prompts that are designed as very simple, not simplistic, simple. You know, one of the first questions we ask is, Who am I? And we ask participants to ask themselves that question. Who am I underneath my name, underneath my age, underneath the color of my skin? Who am I? What is my purpose for for being alive? What is the sound of my true voice? Because I know very well, not only as an actor, but as I said early growing up, I had to sort of disguise myself. And I was a master of putting on a front, putting on a face with a nice smile, which was completely different from what I was feeling inside, you know. So in, in our programs, we guide these young people to take the steps to begin to look inward. Look inward. Life is an inside job, you know, and it's look inward. Look inward and begin to unmask the authentic voice, to begin to reveal, uncover, take away the layers of all the things that you've used to protect yourself and trust that there is guidance and wisdom within you. You, you've been, you were born and equipped with everything you need. Every human being is that way. You know, We were all born and equipped with everything we need, fundamentally, you know, so we have the guidance within. and if we would but listen, if we would but listen and respond to ourselves, to be true, to have the courage to be true to who we are, to what we're feeling, to have the courage to be able to express that. So we use writing as one of the tools to unmask the authentic voice. We use visual arts um, to help unmask The authentic voice Um, my husband is our creative director and he's brought in an entire visual arts department you know so there's uh, painting drawing filmmaking photography graphic design we have musicians we have dancers actors you know we're all artists you know from not only the teachers but the staff of spirit awakening georgia said our coup is a brilliant musician composer singer jazz um, um, composer you know so we're all artists in our own right and so it's the arts it's creativity really helping these young people find their voices find their place within themselves find their place in this world or at least to be open to that discovery to that journey
1: podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes life throws you a curveball and you need someone to talk to. I personally am a huge fan, a huge supporter of therapy. It's helped me get through some of the roughest times in my life. And one thing that's really cool about BetterHelp is that they provide online therapy directly to you at a price that is more affordable than traditional offline therapy. So it's a great way to invest in yourself without breaking the bank. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely by video or audio online, and it's available to everyone. So when you sign up, you'll match with a therapist according to your needs, and who knows, it might take a few tries to find the right fit for you, so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. They also have a special offer for our listeners, Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Esalen. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash Esalen. Where do you do the work of of Spirit Awakening? Do you go to the juvenile justice facilities, or is the work done uh, outside?
0: Both. We go into the facilities where we're invited to bring our programs. So yes, we go into the juvenile halls. We go into the probation camps. We're also in high schools and middle schools as well, and continuation schools. So we're in lots of different spaces, Mm. and we go to them. And uh, of course, right now, everything's virtual, but when um, things open back up again, we'll be going back into the schools once more.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you notice any difference in terms of if you're working within uh, juvenile justice facilities or continuation schools versus the spaces that have been created by um, Spirit Awakening Foundation?
0: Well, in the spaces that we create, for instance, for our Mentoring Leaders program, there's a lot more freedom. Literally, (laughs) Um, and also since it's we can really implement the program however we wish. However, you know, um, we're pretty true to our core, our core mission, and our core values, so that no matter what the space, we're all teaching the same thing very differently. We're all doing it very differently. You know? So the painter will do it differently. The musician will do it differently. Yet we're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know. So um, just the other day, uh, a, a principal was so happy at a continuation school. And he said that uh, because of spirit awakening, and he pointed that out, there are more uh, kids in his school graduating than ever before. The Grade point averages have gone up. And, and, and this particular school is a continuation school. And these are kids that have been thrown out of regular schools. And this is sort of their last ditch effort. And he was just so excited from seeing the growth and seeing the accomplishments of his students. And just is, it was one of our biggest fans. So I'm, I'm just happy. If it's working, great.
1: How many young people can you, do you serve, let's say per year?
0: Between 500 and 1,000, I would say. Yeah, it's a big number. It's a big number.
1: And and I'm sure that has kind of grown over the 25 years that Spirit Awakening Foundation has been around.
0: Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. And especially, you know, since we're in many different spaces now, we're in um, Pasadena. I mean, we're all over L.A. County, you Mm -hmm. know, in different high schools doing different things. And um, the county has actually asked us to expand and to go into more schools, you know. And in fact, we were on the verge of doing that and then the pandemic. So I, I'm sure by next year, we will add more schools to our roster of schools that we serve. That's great.
1: Well, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the specific programs of Spirit Awakening Foundation, including mentoring leaders. And I'd love to hear about the connection with the Esalen Institute in the in the past.
0: Oh, man. Um, so Esalen is what we call our uh, Tribal Oasis Leadership Retreat uh, Program. (laughs) And that's really for the kids that um, we feel and they feel are ready for a more expansive, deep dive into our work. And so um, let's say a young person comes out of incarceration, and they were a part of our program while they were incarcerated. They reach out to us and say, okay, they call me Mama Akuya, Mama Akuya, I'm out now you know, and I'll say, great, um, please sign up for our Mentoring Leaders Program and participate, because that will give you more opportunities to participate in different things. So one of them is um, the Leadership Retreat at Esalen Institute. Another thing we do every other year or every two years, we do international service trips to Ghana, West Africa. and And that program actually, Sam, was initiated by students of mine that were incarcerated. They wrote me a proposal. A group of them got together. And first they said, okay, we want to go to Africa. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And they said, we want want to go to Ghana. I said, why don't you all write a proposal? And they did. They got together and wrote, I thought it was brilliant. The proposal was called Angels of Redemption. And in it, they said, you know, in this country, people have written them off. But if they travel to another country and they chose Africa, they said, well, you're from Africa, so we want to go to Africa. But they said, if we go to Africa, we, we go to one of the countries there, let's work with an orphanage. They've never heard of us. They don't know our backgrounds. They're going to meet us as we are. They're going to see our potential, you know, and they will give us the opportunity to redeem ourselves. It was really Brilliant. I mean, they read it to the then director of the camp, and I read it, and I thought, "This is unbelievable," you know. And so, um, as life would have it, one other girl who'd come from the camp that I'd known since she was fourteen introduced me to the California Wellness Foundation, and they she told them, "You want to know what helped me? Here's the woman. Here's the program. You need to know about this," you know. So it was my former students that lobbied. The philanthropic organization to give us our first seed money to go to Africa. You amazing. can't make that up. Isn't that oh, amazing?
1: Yeah, incredible. And so the kind of the gist of the mentoring leaders is that you help students who have graduated from your program help others?
0: Yes, that's right. Mm. It's all about, first of all, them continuing their work to really strengthen Their sense of themselves and who they are, you know, we in in the mentoring leaders program. We're able to um, Talk to them about money, you know, and how do you take care of your money? How do you begin to grow wealth? How what is an entrepreneur? You know, how do you create a business if that's what you want to do? So in the mentoring leaders program, it really is about the nuts and bolts the, the the Programs that they don't get in the schools, which I don't know why, you know, why are we teaching our kids about credit cards for instance you know and and how to open a bank account these simple things that they need to know how to do duh hello you know let's teach them those things <laughs> so when they come out of high school they are really functioning adults you know and they understand that yes if you buy something with your credit card you then have to pay for it it doesn't just magically go away you know which i've had a lot of kids go oh oh so, yes, oh duh. Yeah, you got to pay for that. You got to pay them back. <laughs> and if you doesn't, it goes on your credit report. What's that? <sighs> Sit down. <laughs> so um <laughs> Patty, our amazing bookkeeper, uh, just did a a workshop on all of that just a few weeks ago, and it was amazing. It was it was wonderful. That's you so know, smart, to have, right? To have them learn about savings and even investing, you know, just simple basic information. Then, if they want to know more, they can know more with their families or go to the bank and ask some amazing questions of the banker. You know.
1: And when your young folks have come to Esalen, I remember in the past, a group of kids being here and spending time in the Esalen Farm and Garden. Talk to me about what the, just what it looked like when, when they were here.
0: When we come, we usually come for five days. And when we're there, each, uh, there's, sometimes it's 10 of us, maybe 15. So um, each student must choose an area of Esalen where they can give back. You know, so Farm and Garden, housekeeping, or the kitchen, and, and so uh, a lot of them choose the, the garden, you know, cause they want to be outside and, and, and it's beautiful because um, the, the folks working in the garden will then teach them about what they do, you know, how you grow and, um, and, and all the wonderful things that go, goes with that. And it's, Oh, Sam, it's stunning, you know, to, to bring Esalen is in California Yet many of our students have never heard of Esalen Institute. They have no clue that such a place even exists, you know, and I think it's important that they know that such a place exists, Mm. that there is a place where you can go to, to again, further the revelation of yourself to, you know, unmask your authentic voice in many ways. And you can do it in the company alongside people from all over the world. So the value of bringing these young people to Esalen where when you're in the dining hall, you might be sitting next to someone who flew in from Germany that day, you know, or someone else from Spain or England, you know, Brazil or Africa is just wonderful. I can't overstate how amazing that experience is for them, you know, because I think, again, As an adult, I think we owe it to our young people, to our children, to teach them that, yes, the world is is extraordinary. It's vast. There are different people here, different languages. And, you know, intermingle, meet one another. Don't be afraid, you know. Even if you can't speak the same language, you will be able to find ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. And so Esalen gives that. And then the other thing we do when we're at Esalen is that we also not only serve um, we serve the Esalen community by also putting together a spoken word e- um, event that we do, you know, one evening and share the, the writings or the paintings that we, we do the week that we're there. It's, our relationship with Esalen, you know, has been real. It really transformed lives. You know, um, no, no young person we've ever brought there has been the same when they've left Esalen. Not the same. Magical.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for speaking that.
0: It's, it's the truth, Sam. You know, Esalen is a very special place, and I hold it dear in my heart and soul. And it, its potential to transform, its potential to help bridge the divide, you know, racially, economically. It's, it's, it's the, these are real things. And um, whether it's us or other groups or us and other groups, I think Esalen has to really uh, continue these kinds of programs because, you know, the world is divided enough. You know, we don't need any more divisions. And when you're sitting on that mountaintop at Esalen, these simple interactions are powerful.
1: So I want to hear a little bit about your well, before I get in, this is my, my question I want to come back to. What's your grand vision for Spirit Awakening? And you can, sure. you can kind of chew on that for a moment or two. But there is one more program that is new that you're developing in Spirit Awakening Foundation called Spirit Home. I just wanted oh, to yes. talk about that briefly.
0: That's part of the grand vision, actually. Um, you know, one of the things I have realized is that, as I said earlier, there's been so much investment made into incarcerating or into the foster care system and the group home systems, all the different systems to respond to children that have been in the past labeled at risk. Now we call them at promise. The return of our investments has not been good. You know, the group home model has not worked. Unfortunately, it's, it's, many group homes are actually hotbeds of abuse for some of these kids, the same with the foster care systems. So I've always had the vision to open what I call spirit home, and rather than creating another institution, to have homes where these young people can live, either as um, alternative to incarceration for those that um, have nonviolent crimes, or for when they are released. And so, for instance, we might have four girls in one home with a den mother. Each resident would be paired with a mentor. They would continue their work with Spirit Awakening And to be a resident at Spirit Home, you have to be either going to school full-time or working or both, working and going to school. And uh, it's an 18-month residential program. And this would be for young adults, 18 to 25, because that age group actually is where a lot of them are so lost. They, They, like I said before, many of them don't really know how life works. You know, simple things like opening a bank account, Keeping a bank account, working with your credit card, how do you build your credit score, you know, those things, you know, and even in terms of relationships. um, What is a healthy relationship? Teaching them to have a healthy relationship with themselves, with their bodies, you know, and because they're young women now, and many of them, I've had girls say to me, oh, when he punched me, then I knew he loved me. And it was like, no. Wow. Oh, oh, Sam, oh yes. You know, so we have to teach them what, what is love, you know, and how to begin to really love yourself, you know, that you don't have to put up with that kind of behavior. You have agency over your body. You can speak up, you can take care. We have to teach them how to do all of those things. So between the ages of 18 to 25 um, would be a good sort of range. And an 18 month residency, we thought in 18 months, we can help help them establish themselves within themselves, really, really hone in. Because the other thing too, uh, Sam, when they've been in our programs during incarceration, they go out, they go back into the same environment that created some of the problems, or they're changing so rapidly, sometimes it's threatening to their families and to their friends. I've had family members call and cuss me out, you know, who you, you, you've changed my child and who you think you are, and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. We've seen that they really do need a space where they can continue their growth, you know, where they can then finally stand up to whatever temptations might come their way or be able to say to a family member, Yes, I have changed. I no longer will do those things. I love you and I'm not going to participate. You know, they have to learn that language, the language of of affirming who they are and affirming the life that they want to live, that they really want to live. Mm -hmm. You know, so spirit home is what we are visioning to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say we have some people that have really heard me now and like, okay, we want to help you do this Mm -hmm. because this is a great idea. And now with, you know, um, the mandate to close the juvenile probation system, that puts it on the community. So what are you all going to do to take care of these kids? How are you going to take care of these kids? You know, if we want to divert them, what do we divert them to? So Spirit Home is in response to that as well, even though I've held a vision for about 26 years, you know, so I'm so excited about this, Sam.
1: That sounds, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Okay, so any other grand visions? How would you like to see Spirit Awakening Foundation grow in the next 25 years?
0: I would love to see our programs available to more um, children, you know, even younger ones, middle schools, you know, as a prevention rather than intervention, you know, to, to um, be there for those kids that feel alone, you know, the, the loners. I mean, we've seen, unfortunately with the, incredible rise of all the gun violence in this country and um, the acting out of students. Some of them have been bullied for so long and then they finally break and then look at what happens, you know? So if spirit awakening can be in different schools as a prevention, you know, to, to allow, to give children the space to breathe, to be themselves, the space to be supported, the space to be able to be who they are without being bullied or made fun of. I think that would go a long way to help us alleviate some of the problems that grow and grow and grow when they get into high schools, you know, because high schools can be a very cruel place. We we see that now. So I would love to see Spirit Awakening in more schools and facilities. Um, one of the things we're rolling out is, you know, retreats. We can bring the Spirit Awakening, you know, as a development program for adults, which we've done for teachers, for anyone who wants to be in social justice or just, wants to be a better version of themselves, you know? Um, and as always, we, we, you know, I can say this because I know Eslyn goes through the same thing. We want to have an endowment program so that, you know, keeping these kinds of programs going isn't always such a struggle, you know, um, as a nonprofit. You know, it, it's, it's it, that old paradigm is so tired, it's so old and it doesn't work, you know? So those are the kinds of things that I really envision. And I don't see why it can't be done the, the program can act absolutely be scaled nationally, you mm. know, because it, it, it helps and we have the evaluations and the tools to prove it. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, how can more people know about spirit awakening and how can they help support the work that you do in the world?
0: They can go to our website at www.spiritawakening.org. It's all one name, Spirit Awakening. Certainly reach out to Spirit Awakening and we, will, we are very responsive. We will get back to them um, as soon as we get their inquiry. So that's a, a wonderful way to help. And if, they, if anyone listening wants to be a part of any of the things we're, we've talked about, by all means, reach out to us
1: mm-hmm. and we'll respond. I mean, I can definitely see some people listening to this podcast feeling called right now to, to want to work and want to, what kind of, what kind of volunteer opportunities are, are there?
0: Well, especially when we are meeting in person, we, we're always looking for um, mentors those that can bring their life skills and their life's wisdom to our young people. So mentors are always something that's a big ask for us. And then also when we have events, we we love to have volunteers come and help us to do our events and things of that nature. We have one coming up called Voices of the Unheard. We do it every year and where you can meet some of our uh, program participants. Uh, we do spoken word, there's music, sometimes there's dance and movement. So um, we, we have spaces for them. And, and if someone wants to um, you know, deliver, um, a, be a guest speaker in our mentoring program, um, by all means, you know, reach out to us and let us know.
1: Mm. So. <laughs> Kuyo, I just have one more question for you. How, you know, you seem like a person who's been able to keep your heart open in this world on a daily basis in order to do the work that you do. What is one self-care ritual that you have in order to kind of show up as your best self?
0: Oh, uh, meditation. Without a doubt, I don't know what I would be without meditating, you know? And sometimes it's me sitting at home, sometimes it's a walk on the beach or a hike. You know, life is a meditation. You know, as far as I can see, so meditating, prayers, yoga, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny, Sam? These things are really free. You know, I, I don't need a fancy outfit to meditate. You know, I, I, I don't need a fancy outfit to pray or to take a walk. You know, even if I can't get to the beach, I'll walk on my block. You know, so the things that help keep me sane or encourages me to keep my heart open. All those things are free, Mm. you know, and I can do them, you know, at any given moment. Mm. So, and I love doing them too.
1: (laughs) Kuyo Graham, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Esalen.
0: Oh, Sam, this has been amazing. I just, I I love the questions you asked and thank you for the opportunity to share my heart with you and with the beautiful Esalen community. Thank you Mm. so much. Mm -hmm.
1: Thanks for listening to Akuyo's initial interview. This is the additional material that we recorded just recently in 2022. My first question for her was to tell me more about the times that she was able to bring her group of young people to Esalen for a retreat.
0: Honestly, coming to Esalen is one of those things that we were able to offer that was very meaningful. You know, there was a young man that was incarcerated and uh, we were coming to Esalen and he wanted to come. And I said, I'm so sorry, but you're still incarcerated. You know, we can't take you. Long story short, that the Friday before the Sunday when we were leaving, he went to court, to juvenile court, told the judge that he was coming to Esalen. The judge had heard of Spirit Awakening, definitely heard of Esalen and was like, oh, you're going. The judge released him to come with us to Esalen, which his probation officer said to me, in 22 years of being an officer, I have never known a judge to release anybody to go on a retreat <laughs> and to come back. And he didn't AWOL. He could have He could have in the middle of the night at Esalen, you know, snuck away through the mountains and gone wherever, but he didn't because he said he didn't want to jeopardize our program or Esalen or any such opportunities for another young person. So he came with us to Esalen for the five days, was blown away by Esalen and its sheer beauty and power and the programming that Esalen offered and being able to be proximate with uh, people from all over the world. And it really helped change the trajectory of that young man's life. You know, so we offer these kinds of experiences at Spirit Awakening, these invaluable, priceless experiences that can make a difference in a young person's life. You know, because Esalen being in the forefront of the human potential movement, as Esalen describes it. Well, in the same way, Spirit Awakening, our mission is to help young people to create safe spaces where a young person can explore their identity, in a, whether it's spiritually, whether it's through holistic uh, workshops and programs, where they get a chance to become aware and look at the internalized, you know, whether it's internalized racism or the internalized issues that they now un- un- unconsciously Use to sabotage themselves. So, in our programs, we bring them to a, a space like Esalen where they get a chance to see that to to have a workshop, whether it's yoga, to get a massage, go in the baths, you know, speak to someone, you know, who's flown in that morning from Germany or Australia, and get a, a, a bigger world point of view, you know, which they wouldn't get in their hood, and that is impactful. We are very excited to be recognized as an organization that offers life-changing experiences for young people that can help them redirect their lives into something really meaningful and valuable.
1: What's the reaction from your young people when they step onto the land of Esalen, when they step into the nature here?
0: The sheer beauty of Esalen blows them away. You're up, you know, in this mountain top, which is a metaphor in and of itself. You know, and there's that you got mountains, you got forests, you got water, the ocean. You have all the elements, right? Th- these powerful earth elements. You have them all there. Plus, you have these extraordinary individuals from all over the world. You know, plus the programming that Esalen offers. They are no exaggeration. Blown away. I mean, I've had them come to me and say, "Oh, Mama Akuyo, this place is." <sighs> i didn 't know something like this existed i didn 't know the Earth was this beautiful. It does impact them. It helps them want to be better and want to take care of the planet you know the the The, the jargon that 's very, very popular amongst young people um, is i 'm a die for my hood you know they always want to die for the hood. So what I like to encourage them is like, try living for your hood because dying, you're not really saying anything. We're all going to die at some point. So just say you're going to die for your hood is not really saying a whole lot, (laughs) you know, living for your hood now there, you know, and, and let's expand the hood. So Esalen allows us to expand their perception of the hood. You know, this is a hood that's worth fighting for, preserving, taking care of. You know, so all of that comes into play when they're Esalen. You know, they suddenly feel like, Oh, the earth. Yeah. I, I want to take care of the earth. You know, if, if, if places like this exist, okay, you can sign me up. I'll, I'll be, you know, an environmentalist, you know, and, and, and I'll garden and I'll do all those things. And yes, uh, I'll take a workshop you know, and learn more about myself, my potential as a human being, it has made an incredible difference in so many young lives that we've been able to bring to Esalen.
1: In our previous interview, you talked about helping your young people remove the mask that they've had to put on, this persona that they've used to shield themselves from the trauma that they've often gone through. What is it like when you start to remove protective layers from traumatized individuals?
0: Well, first of all, we have to establish an environment of trust and safety. In our program, that's that's something we do we directly create with the participants. And we do that by simply asking, what do you need in this environment to feel safe enough for you to really excel, for you to succeed? You know, what do you need? What quality do you need? I love this exercise because even the Toughest, baddest dude or woman you know, sitting there with all tatted up from top to bottom, and you think they're gonna just poo poo the idea. And they might look at you and say, Love, I need love. I've heard that so often, you know. Even the probation officers sometimes will kind of look like, <laughs> You know, I didn't expect that from that person, but it makes sense to me. We all need and want love, you know. So, establishing a safe space is paramount. Because if the participants don't feel safe, those masks aren't going to be revealed, they're not going to come off. Why should they? You know, they have to trust the facilitator. How do we do that? We dialogue, we meditate, we, you know, and we, it's very gingerly, it's very sort of very sensitive And it's not you walk in, you say, okay, I want you to tell me your darkest, deepest secrets. No, no, no. You start with, you know, uh, our programs build on themselves. The first level is called unmasking your authentic voice the second one is urban folk tales and then leadership retreats which would be the third level which is the you know coming to a place like esalen so level one unmasking your authentic voice we have a series of exercises that we lead them through to help get to that space and with each exercise it's like peeling away an onion a layer comes off a layer comes off as they are ready to release them to let them come off and by then you know you've established a trust you've established that you are someone that they can reveal themselves to when I'm teaching it's always an invitation to go on this journey of self-discovery so just because they're there and of course when I'm in a probation facility these young people are there it's not they want to be, they didn't pay for the workshop. So it's not like, you know, I'm teaching at Esalen and someone's paid and they want to be there. These are young people that are locked up. They do not necessarily want to be in my program. So again, even with that, it's treading gingerly, you know, saying, hey, this is an invitation. You'll get out of this what you put into it. You know, and one thing I always like to remind participants, Sam, is I can't make this a great class for you. If it's a great class, we create that together. And if it doesn't work, we did that together as well. You know, so again, I'm aware of my own limitations and my own boundaries. And, and I will, you know, I'm, I could be the greatest teacher in the world. Doesn't mean we're going to have a great class. You know, that's something that we all have to be present to and want to see happen. I just marvel at how when you come from that space, it shows a level of respect for your participants. And they, the young people really love that. You know, they these are kids... Sam, that haven't had a whole lot of respect. They don't have a whole lot of people asking, what do you need to feel safe? Which I think is a great question. I've taken a lot of workshops. No one's ever asked me that. What a great! What do I need in this moment to feel safe enough to open myself up, to open my heart, to want to excel, to do well? It packs a lot of weight. And they take that in and they think about it. And when every participant has said what it is they need, and it could be love, laughter, humor, respect, confidentiality, non-judgmentalness. I mean, they'll say so many things that are just beautiful. Then we take a moment of silence to make an agreement that that which we are needing, we are willing to bring to the table, so to speak.
1: In our previous interview we talked about how about 95% of the young people in the LA County juvenile justice system are black and brown how can majority white spaces and i'm thinking of places like Esalen make it safe for them to open up and be able to do healing work when they come here
0: that's a great question sam and um, and i'll be honest i think well we all have to be who we really are you know and and, and by that meaning We have to be present and open and accepting, you know, and when I have brought them to Esalen, I will be honest, it's pushed some buttons. Some individuals perhaps didn't want them here. I mean, the thing is to recognize that there is no them. It's us, you know, and I think too often what happens is that black and brown people, we are labeled as the other. You know, and and even if someone is an inmate, they're still not the other. That is us. I mean, they're part of the society, you know, and we've all had a hand in creating whatever it is that brought them to that moment to do what they did to get incarcerated. There is some responsibility that we all bear as a community of individuals, as a humanity. And yet, having said that, Sam, when we do come to Esalen, people have been so loving and kind, you know, and not, you know, going overly overboard to be something other than who they are. And I think that's the, the secret. We all have to be ourselves, our unique self, you know, with the recognition that this is not the other and, and, and to, to welcome. So how do you make someone feel welcome? Well, how do you welcome someone when they come into your home you know, you, you do put your best foot forward, you know, and you offer them a glass of water, you know, you, you offer them those things that would make them feel welcome. And and we have had that at Esalen. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep coming. You know, I would not do that. I'm very protective of these young people in our programs. I mean, talk about the mama lion, you know, I am very, very protective of them. And And will not put them into consciously anyway, put them into a space that I didn't feel was ultimately good for them. (sighs) I think having conversations like you and I are having is really great. I think, you know, spaces like Esalen again to recognize that number one, a lot of the black and brown people that are in these systems are there unjustly so, you know, that um, they are there you know, in instances where others perhaps wouldn't be there. uh, A black and brown kid is more likely to be incarcerated than a white kid. You know, this is not something we say just to put up, make ourselves victims. It just is what it is. And I think that with that recognition that the system is skewed in a very biased way, I think just having that awareness is can be very healing for someone to say, "I recognize, I acknowledge." It's it's very powerful, and 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 I know for me, when I hear that, it it does. It's it's very healing.
1: Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you for speaking to that. You know, I would love to hear about some of the success stories from spirit awakening.
0: Oh, sure. Um, there's a young woman right now that I'm mentoring whose um, mother is not in her life. I believe the mother is detained and has issues. And she, it's interesting, I met her three years ago. Um, she was incarcerated at the juvenile camp. She did not want to come into my program. <laughs> and as I was heading out to the class, the probation officer, who was an incredible uh, gentleman, uh, Officer Thomas, was escorting her to my program. And the young girl was just angry and cussing and i don't want to go to this you know and she was making noise and screaming so the officer said just try it if you don't like it um i'll take you out of the program and she came into the program and within like 10 minutes she was just like this is great. I love this. And she, I kid you not, within minutes, you know, so now she's, she, um, I consider her my goddaughter, you know, and uh, we were just remarking the other day, um, how, you know, that first meeting, but she is someone who's had incredible challenges and been in and out of the system all her life. So she's finally out and um she's working she's enrolled in school she's going to college and she got a great job with benefits and and all of this kind of stuff and she was just so happy you know that her life is on track and um she's been on track for over a year now you know uh, since her release and um doing very very well and um just the idea, you know, because before when kids and uh, adults are released, you have to check that box if you've ever been incarcerated, which a lot of people, when they check, they don't get jobs. You know, so that's the other thing. We don't make it easy for them to turn their lives around. You know, we make it actually almost impossible. So when a young person succeeds like that, it's extraordinary. There's a young man who I knew early on, Jim, let's call him, and he has his own family right now. He's in business, and he was a hardcore gang member. I mean, and coming out of the gangs was not easy for him. He said he was beaten up, and but he said once he... Went through our program and he touched within himself his own value and he got to really recognize that he wasn't a mistake in life you know that he could do something with his life that was meaningful he was determined to do that so he came out of the gangs he was beaten up left for dead but he said he was out that was the price he had to pay he said fine instead of being a menace to society he said he wants to be a contributor to society he has his own family He's in business. He coaches a soccer team. I mean, he just is living a life that is so different from the way he grew up, from how he grew up, and the way he was treated. There's Hunter who works with us, who's amazing. Her mom tells me all the time, Spirit Awakening not only changed Hunter's life, it changed the family's life. You know, uh, there's Pluto, and I can say their names. Pluto, Hunter and Pluto both serve on our board. And um, Pluto is an extraordinary young man. And I remember meeting him while he was incarcerated, not knowing what would happen to him. And when he got out, he's just, it's been a few years, no trouble with the law. He's just like, no, I've been locked up once. That was enough. I never want to go back there. And he travels, he's working with a sailing company um, about to start traveling again, seeing the world. One of the things he did, which um, we taught him to do while he was locked up, was to use creative visualization. So he said he used to watch travel shows while he was locked up and just, just literally place himself in those spaces, you know, and see himself on the seas away from incarceration, away from all the troubles. He said he just would use creative visualization and meditation to place himself other than where he was. And he's living that life. And he's an incredible poet and writer. He's just a beautiful soul. And when I look at him and think, oh my goodness, I can't even, I don't even want to think that he could have been incarcerated for years and years and years and have all that talent and loving presence sort of wasted, you know. And, and we just have so many stories like that. And, and kids that have gone on to colleges who just recently out of our John Muir program, we gave a scholarship to a foster young woman who came out of the foster system. She got a full scholarship to UCLA We gave her a scholarship as well. So she starts UCLA in a few weeks and she wants to be a teacher, you know, and she said that during the pandemic, had it not been for Spirit Awakening, she wasn't sure what she was going to do. Because, again, with Spirit Awakening, even though it was online, it was virtual, she was able to find a safe space to look at the things that she was afraid of, why was she afraid? She was able to look at all of those things and find a reason to keep going when she felt like she couldn't keep going. And she kept going all the way to a full scholarship to UCLA. (laughs) As long as there's still passion in my heart, Sam, for doing this work, I will do it. If it didn't work, I wouldn't do it because it's not easy work you know, to continually be in front of a group of angry young people who don't want to be in your presence. (laughs) You know, this is not easy, I tell you. However, um, I have no doubt that I am doing what I am meant to do, what is in front of me to do. And it gives me a chance to use all of my gifts and talents. You know, I'm a performer and a writer, and I get to use all of that in this work. And so I am deeply grateful you know, and as I say to the families, thank you for letting me be a part of your family, you know, to help your child. And when a parent looks at you and entrusts and you with a child, oh, my goodness, I don't think there's anything more sacred than that, Sam, really. Yeah, I, I, I just love what I do.
1: Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's episode is produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our music is by Nico Holliman. If you're enjoying the show, please support us by sharing on social media or by going to your favorite podcast player and leaving a review. It really does help. Until next time, be well.